Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bccweb.com. It's Valentine's Day, and uh, yeah, for the last few weeks in our kind of staff meetings and our vision delivery meetings, Mark's been referring to me as the Doctor of Love. Um, don't worry, I'm not going to go there today. Um, but um, hopefully, you, uh, those of you who are in a relationship, if maybe you're married or dating, um, you received a nice card or a nice gift this morning. A few nods, a few shakes. No, no. Oh, I could name and shame a few, but I won't do that. Uh, I should tell you that I, I. Um, Bought my wife a gift. I bought her um, a nice bag and a matching belt. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And hopefully the vacuum cleaner will work well now. <laughs> Not really. I do that. No. Okay, so we're in out of series, discovering my God-given capacity and... Um, obviously, being Valentine's Day, I thought we would do it, discovering my God-given capacity to love. Um, and I put some extra hearts on the PowerPoint there just to get the message across. Um, but it's not really a message about um, kind, of, uh, kind of marriages or about dating or about that kind of love. I didn't really want to go there. Um, if you want to go to those kind of messages, then you need to go to the Resolve Life group. Um, I think probably Vlad is the real doctor of love in this church. Um, but those relationships, our, our marriages and, and kind of our girlfriends and boyfriends, and uh, to use an old-fashioned word, those who we're courting, those actually are just a tiny fraction. They represent such a small fraction of the capacity that we have for love. Okay, it's just a small amount. Um, and it's true that the Bible refers to love a lot. Okay, there are lots of passages that talk about love. We all know um, that actually two of, the, uh, two of the greatest commandments are about love, about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, and also loving your neighbour as yourself. Okay, love is important. We know the 1 Corinthians passage where it talks about love is, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, does not boast, and it goes on to a whole series of things that love uh, doesn't do or does do. Um, but I don't want to talk about love in those kinds of terms today. What I want to do today is talk about a specific event in history, and actually in the life of Jesus, that I think really captures the essence of love. And captures um, what we mean when we talk about love. Now, there are, in the Bible, there are, there are obviously, the New Testament is written in Greek, and the Greeks have actually four different words um, for different <laughs> concepts around love. And again, I don't really want to go into the different meanings of the word. C.S. Lewis has written a great book that talks about love, if you're interested, and the different kinds of love that there are. Um, but rather than focus on love as an abstract concept, I want to focus on this specific time and event that will help us have an understanding of God's capacity for love and also an understanding of the capacity for love that he's put in each of us. Is that okay? Right, so this event that I want to talk about took place 1,985 years ago, give or take a year, and Jesus is with his 12 disciples. He's 33 years old. 
He's been ministering in and around Jerusalem for the last three years. And um, it's during the Passover festival and uh, Jesus has returned to Jerusalem. That day, he's walked from Bethany with his disciples where he was staying uh, back to Jerusalem in order to celebrate the Passover feast uh, together. And, and so he wants to spend a bit of time talking with his disciples. Now, it's clear that Jesus at this point has got some really important things that he needs to share with this group of 12, these close guys he's been with for the last uh, kind of three years that he's spent on. He's got some things that he knows and he needs to explain to them. He's got some things that that he feels like they need to know and need to be recorded uh, down. Um, And he knows also that this is his final opportunity to do that because he knows that this is his last evening on the earth before he has to face what's going to happen the next day, his torture and crucifixion. So we pick up the event and it's during the meal and Jesus has, has broken bread with them and, and established uh, communion as a, as, a, as a thing that's going to be a sacrament that's going forward. It's going to be a thing that's going to be celebrated from then right up until the present day and uh, be remembered. And Jesus is talking with his disciples And one of these disciples is actually going to record this event for us later on in his life. In fact, all four Gospels record uh, the events uh, that we know as the Last Supper. Uh, But we're going to look at uh, John's description of it. Okay, John was one of his closest disciples and we're going to look at the way John wrote about it. And we find it in the book of John. If you have a Bible, if you can turn to chapter 13 uh, in the Gospel of John. Now... There's five chapters going from chapter 13 all the way to through to chapter 17 that describes this particular evening, this particular um, period, the Last Supper, uh, the walk to Gethsemane and, and Jesus's prayer. And these chapters are monumental. They're absolutely loaded with the promises of God uh, for those he loved, starting with his own disciples, but actually stretching throughout history to us today as well. And uh, this is the final legacy of Jesus to his own, and I really like how it starts. So in verse 1 in chapter 13, it says this. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And this verse just sets up the whole of the scene. Everything that follows later that night and in the days to come are an expression of Jesus' love. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And this uh, word that means to the end, this Greek word, actually, it doesn't just mean uh, to the end. There's a sense of completion in it. It's saying um, to the max, to the full, to the, to the completion, to, to infinity and beyond, to, uh, uh, to, the, to the end, immeasurable. It's inconceivable. It's far above what we can think or imagine, this love that Jesus has had. And that, that word that, that's used there to the end encompasses all those, all those thoughts. And these, the, the first four chapters from verse, chapter 13 all the way to chapter 16 are essentially Jesus describing his love and God's love and the promises and all the things that are going to happen in the light of that love. And he also describes us how we as believers can and should remain in Jesus' love. 
and then what it means for us. And then in chapter 17, after he's described all these promises and described his love and, and what it means for us, he then makes a prayer to the Father. And in this prayer, he asks God to fulfill these promises, knowing that he will. Absolutely knowing that God is going to fulfill these promises. And he makes the prayer uh, on behalf of those people who he loves. It's an incredible portion of scripture. And I would, you know, we're not going to read all of it today. I guess I could just read five chapters. That would be enough. But actually, on your own time this week, have a look through these five chapters. They are are amazing. And there's some really amazing um, promises and description of love in there. Describing how much an infinite, eternal God can love. But we're just going to read this. This passage, let's let's go from verse 1 again. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realise now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, You have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body's clean and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher. And Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. And know that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. You also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Know that you know these things. You will be blessed if you do them. So, What we're going to do today, using this passage and using Jesus as our model, um, we're going to look at three different ways that we can discover and we can demonstrate the capacity for love that God has put within each of us. So my first point then, we need to demonstrate love humbly. We need to demonstrate this love humbly. Now John MacArthur, um, a uh, pastor and theologian, Um, uh, says it this way, he says, your capacity to love is directly related to your capacity to humble yourself. Only humble people can truly love. Your capacity to love is directly related to your capacity to humble yourself. So we need to love with humility. The humbler you are, the less interested you are in yourself, the greater your capacity to invest yourself in someone else. The two things are related proportionally. And we can see clearly how Jesus demonstrated this humility. So let's provide some context to um, this event that we've just uh, described. First of all, at this point in history, they didn't 
wear trainers or Wellingtons, they wore sandals, which means when they're walking uh, from place to place, they didn't also have tarmac road. They had dusty, muddy roads. Their feet would get dirty. If any of you have ever worn sandals or flip-flops, you know what it's like in, in summer months when you're wearing these things. Your feet and your toes and between your toes and your nails just get a bit grubby. Don't they? And so um, what people would do when they would approach a house, um, before they went in the house, there would be a pot of water outside the door and um, they would need to clean their feet before they went in the house. Now, it was usually the job of, the, of, of, a, of a servant, probably the lowest slave in the household. Um, not a very nice job, taking somebody's feet and giving them a bit of a scrub before they, before they came into the house, but it was a necessary job. I guess, obviously, we don't have to do that these days. Well, we don't in our house. I don't know if you do. Um, but it might be something like I don't know, taking the rubbish out or uh, doing the recycling or emptying the dishwasher or washing up and clearing up after a meal. I only mention those particular ones because those are the ones that we make our kids do in our house. Um, and that's why you have kids, right? There's, uh, we don't get to have slaves anymore, so the kids will do it. It could be worse, kid. You could have to wash feet. Um, don't have it so bad. So, um, uh, so feet get dirty. And before you came into a house, you would wash your feet. That's the first context. The second context, um, with a meal like this, the Passover meal, a long, drawn-out meal, they wouldn't sit down at a table. They would be reclining. They would be reclining at a low table. And so you'd be lying here, and somebody would be lying there, and their feet would be quite close to your head. Um, so you'd want them to have clean feet, right? I guess. I would. Um, and so that's the second context, is that they're reclining at this meal. The third context is, uh, actually, we, we read in Luke 22, he's describing the Last Supper, and he says something else. He says the disciples are arguing. Anybody remember what they're arguing about? They're arguing about who is the greatest among them. So that's another really important point. The disciples have been arguing between themselves about who is the greatest. And the fourth context, the fourth point I want to mention is, Jesus is the Son of God. And this is his final night with them before his death. And if, if you were invited to a, a going away party, uh, you wouldn't expect to do, oh, I'll, have to, oh, I'll have to do all the work uh, to, get the party, to get the party going. Um, Jesus should be the guest of honour. He should be exalted, but he's not. And he doesn't demand it either. And how do you feel when, uh, you know, maybe you see people kind of not doing the right thing and behaving in an inconsiderate way. I know how I feel. I feel like I want justice. I feel like I want, I want to put things right. Only this week, actually, as I was at home and it was on um, a point on Wednesday or maybe Friday, I was preparing this message and I was working away in the office and earlier that morning, Fru had prepared porridge for the kids' breakfast. Um, there's a point to this story. Um, uh, the Fru had prepared porridge in a pan on the stove and before, when fruit prepared porridge, I said, if you t- keep the heat low, then that way the porridge doesn't burn on the pan. And this time, she didn't do that. She forgot and she left it and she walked away, which meant the pan was stuck with, with porridge, you know, really minging. And, um, and then she had to go to work. All right? And, she, and the, the pan was sat there next to the washing up. And I came out, I'd been preparing my message, I wanted to make a cup of tea, and I saw this pan there, and I'm like, oh. 
Oh, man. Oh, she did, she did it on a high heat. Now it's all burnt to the pan. I said, I'm just going to leave it. She can do it when she gets back. And then I'm going back and I'm doing my message about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And, uh, and I'm sat there going, and I come out and make myself another drink. Oh, it's still, oh, oh, I really ought to do it. Oh, and so I, I sat there and it took me like 20 minutes to, to get this pan clean. But no, yeah, don't give me sympathy. Don't give me sympathy at all. And I was sat there thinking, I love my wife. I really love my wife. And I would, I would do anything for her. I would die for my wife. And yet this... <laughs> this saucepan of burnt porridge. I was going to leave it for her. Because I didn't want to do it. And I wanted to teach her a lesson. <laughs> What kind of man does that make me? If I wouldn't even do that for my wife, what would I do for you? <sighs> it's so easy to get kind of caught up in wanting justice instead of demonstrating humble love. And it even happens in the church. People become elevated and have a sense of their own importance. And I've seen this where... A, a church leader or a, uh, you know, a leader of a, a ministry starts to demand certain privileges because of their position. And it's not right. It's not the example that we're taught. And even Jesus himself, what did he say? He said, whoever, uh, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Must be your servant. The Apostle Paul explains it more uh, fully in, in his letter to the Philippians. He says uh, this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In humility, value others above, your, above yourselves. And in the passage, it doesn't just say, Jesus got up and washed their feet. It actually uh, says this, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knew that he had come from God and was returning to God. He knew that he had all power. And then he says, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. The one followed from the other. The two things are connected. Jesus knew that he was the son of God. So he made himself the lowest. He knew he was the highest. He made himself the lowest. He knew all these things. He knew who he was. He knew what was about to happen. And he got up and in humility lowered himself to this position of the lowest slave. That's his example to us, to love humbly. My second point then. We need to demonstrate this love humbly and also sacrificially. Um, uh, Again, Jesus' words, Greater love hath no man than he lay down his life for his friends. And he also tells us, uh, we don't just love our friends, we have to love our enemies. That's a different thing altogether. And we see sacrifice in perfect love. Again, the two things are connected. And we see the relationship between sacrifice and love most perfectly in Jesus. He is our model for this. And again, in the same passage in Philippians, Paul describes, um, sorry, Paul describes uh, uh, Jesus in this way. He said, Jesus, who? being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God 
something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus, being in very nature God, took on the very nature of a servant. His nature was one thing. He took on a completely different nature. He was equal with God and he lowered himself. And it's nothing at all to do with how deserving we were. It's nothing at all to do with us. It's about him. It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It was about him. And we know that it's easy to love people who love us. And it's really hard to love people who don't love us back. But that didn't stop Jesus. Um, we, should, we, know, we know what he did. He says he washed the disciples' feet. So he did this. He knew who he was. He took off his outer garment. He wrapped a towel around himself. And he knelt down in front of, of James and he started washing his feet. He knelt down in front of John and started washing his feet. He knelt down in front of Matthew and washed his feet. And Peter and Bartholomew and um, Philip and Simon and Thomas. And then he came to Judas. And then he came to Judas. And maybe he could have found an excuse. Maybe he could have said, oh, the water's dirty now. Let's, let's just end it there. Or Judas, in a few minutes, he's going, to go and, he's going to tell Judas to go and do what he needs to do. He could have said it there, go and, go and do what you need to do. But he doesn't. He takes his time and he washes Judas's feet at this moment. He's already said, you love your enemies in words. And now he's saying it in action. I think that's amazing. He knelt down and washed the man who was about in a few minutes time to betray, betray him for money. Because... It wasn't about Judas. It was about Jesus. Jesus' love is not about who is receiving it. It's not about the deserving nature of who is receiving it. It's about Jesus who was giving it. So Paul, in that passage that we, that we read, uh, describes Jesus in this way. But actually the sentence before it, uh, it, says, um, it says, in your relationships with one another... Be like Jesus. In your relationships with one another, be like Jesus, who in the very nature was God. So then he goes on. So he's saying we should be the same. We're not talking about oh, this amazing son of God who was able to do all these things because he was the son of God. He's saying, no, no, no. You be like this too. You be like this. You be the same way. We wouldn't be instructed to love this way if he didn't give us the capacity to love this way. Can you imagine what this world would be like if we really took that on board and if we loved in that same way, if we loved with humility and in sacrifice? Can you imagine how my marriage would look? Can you imagine how your marriages would look and your relationships would look if we truly put the others first? If I looked at that bowl of porridge and my heart soared because I had an opportunity to express my love for my wife? Imagine that, if we took that on board. Can you imagine if we wanted the best for everybody that we were in contact with? We wanted their best above our own best. 
lowering ourselves, not because they're deserving, but because of who I am, because of who you are, because of the capacity for love that has been put in us. Can you imagine what our families would look like if we approached loving in this way? There's a story that you probably have heard of a, of a beggar who was uh, standing outside Alexander the Great's palace and Alexander the Great comes out with his courtiers and he passes the beggar and the beggar asks for alms and he was wretched and he was poor and he had no claim and yet the king throws him some gold coins. Alexander the Great throws him gold coins and a courtier was astonished at the generosity of Alexander and he says, you know, the, why would you give him gold coins? Copper coins would adequately um, meet a beggar's need. And Alexander replies, well, truly, uh, copper coins would suit the beggar's need, but gold coin suits Alexander's giving. It's all about our giving. It's not about the suitability of what they deserve or what they can do with. It's talking about us and the suitability of our giving. We love not according to the needs of the other, the character of the other, the suitability of the other, the deserving nature of the other. We love according to the capacity to love that is in us. It's not, nothing at all to do with the receiver. It's to do with our capacity. So, we love humbly, we love sacrificially, and my third point is we need to demonstrate love actively. We need to be active. We love humbly, sacrificially, and active. So Jesus, a few days earlier, has told his disciples that in order to be great, they need to be a servant. But it seems like they still haven't got it because they're arguing about who is the greatest among them. So Jesus, having told them in word, now tells them in action. He's told them the truth and now he shows them the truth. And we can talk and we can talk about the right way to live, but it's in showing people that they eventually get it. So Jesus rises up, he takes off his robe, he puts a towel around himself, he fetches a pot of water and he begins to wash their grubby feet. And I can only imagine this would have devastated his disciples. This is their rabbi. This is their teacher. This is the one who, a few days earlier, Peter said, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. We know who you are. And he's on his knees before them. And you would think, oh gosh, this is so, so wrong on so many levels. It would be so hard to take. John the Baptist um, himself describing Jesus says, I baptise with water, but among you stands one who you do not know. He's the one who comes after me, whose straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. I'm sure that's a re- same reference to washing feet. And the irony in this, he is somebody who's, we're not even worthy to untie his sandals, and he's on his knees untying his disciples' sandals, and actually our sandals That's what he's doing. Um, Peter's the one who finally decides he must say something. As always, it falls to Peter. Um, He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realise now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? No. You shall never wash my feet. And the language that he uses there, the Greek word, is the strongest possible negative word. He's like, no, 
Never in all eternity. No way, under no circumstances, will you ever do this thing to me. You're not going to wash my feet. It's not ever going to happen. And then Jesus would reply, unless I do, you have no part with me. And then Peter, oh, okay then, but don't just wash my feet. Wash my hands and my head as well. He's like, oh, Peter's amazing, isn't he? He's so desperate to get it right. He's so... He so wants to get it right. He's so desperate for this deep relationship with Jesus. And he was only saying what the others were thinking. He only says what you or I would be thinking at the same time. This shouldn't be happening. Jesus, you should not be on your knees washing my feet. And then Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. (laughs) Peter, okay then. But then wash everything. You can imagine him start to strip everything off. (laughs) Wash it all. No. But what did Jesus mean when he says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me? So the whole of this foot washing exercise was a foreshadow of what Jesus was about to do. It represented his humility, his sacrifice, his loving action. He tells Peter, you don't get it now. You don't understand it, but you will later on. When you look back in a few days time, when you look back at this period, at this moment, it'll start to make sense in the light of what's to come you've had time to kid this, you'll realise that this has eternal significance. And Jesus says, Peter, you think I'm making myself low now by washing your feet. I'm about to go down even lower. I'm about to go down as low as it's possible to go. Lower than anybody ever has. Because of my love, Peter, you can't stop this humiliation Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. If you want a relationship with God, it's got to be through me. Unless I wash you, you've got to do this through me. It can't happen any other way. If you want, if you want this relationship, you've got to let me do this. If you want salvation, it's got to be through Jesus. If you want forgive, forgiveness, the only way is through Jesus. If you want eternal life, the only way... He's being cleansed by Jesus. The only way. No part with me unless I wash you. So Peter says, yes, that's what I want. Give me the full works. But then Jesus replies, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body's clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. This is amazing. He says, Peter, you are clean. He's essentially saying to him, Peter, you're already saved. Peter, you're already saved. There was only one in that room who wasn't saved, and that was Judas, because he was about to betray him. That's why he said not everyone was clean. And when you've been cleansed, when you have been cleaned, you don't need to be cleaned again. When you've been saved, you don't need to be saved again. It's already happened. You're already clean, Peter. I don't need to clean you. Again, but as you go on your journey, maybe your feet will pick up a bit of dirt and a bit of dust and occasionally you need to have your feet washed. What does that mean for us? What does that actually mean? Well, once we've given our lives to Jesus, once we've made that decision and made him Lord and made him Saviour, we are fully washed. We are fully cleansed, not because of our righteous living, but because of the righteousness that it's given to us. And when, and when Jesus says we are righteous, when he says we, and when we are righteous, he's not talking about our performance, it's talking about our position. We are positionally righteous righteous because of who he is. 
Not because we are deserving, but because Jesus is full of grace and mercy. We are clean. We don't need to be cleansed again. However, sometimes on the journey of life, maybe sometimes for you quite often for me, we pick up dirt. Okay, we do the wrong thing. We, we treat people in not the right way. They're not, we know the way that they shouldn't be treated. Maybe we occasionally tell a lie. Maybe we occasionally put somebody down. Maybe occasionally we gossip. Maybe we occasionally do the wrong thing. We look at something that we shouldn't look at. And so it doesn't stop us being saved, but our feet get dirty. And so there's a time we need to come to God and we need to confess our sins and he just washes our feet again. and says, you've picked up this on your journey. You've picked up this bit of mud, but I'll wash it again. It's okay. You're saved. You're cleansed. And he's prepared to do that. If you've been washed, you don't need to be washed again, but I'm just going to wash your feet because you've picked up a little bit of dirt on the road. So we continually confess our sins and he goes on cleansing us from all unrighteousness. He stoops down and he washes our feet every time. So we see Jesus loving humbly. We see him loving sacrificially and we see him loving actively. Can we have the band up, please? The final verse in this passage Again, it's another interesting one, verse 17. It says, know that you know these things. You will be blessed if you do them. Know that you know these things. You'll be blessed if you do them. Two statements there. The first statement, you know these things. Know that you know these things. It's a definite statement. It's, it's, a, it's a confirmation of something that's already taken place. You know this thing. It's a statement of fact. You know it because I've told you. And I've shown you, told you and shown you. So now you know these things. It's certain. The second statement is not so certain. There's an if there. You know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. And I think this is often where we live our lives, in that gap. There's a gap there between what we know, the way we know we should go, the way we know we should love, the way we know we should treat people and actually the way that we do. And Jesus himself said, if you live that way, if you love that way, if you love this way that I've shown you and I've told you, there's a blessing in that. There's blessing. You can have that blessed life because of that love. And remember, this love that is in us is not to do with the people who are receiving it. It's to do with us. Okay, so what does that mean for us kind of going home? How might this love be released? We need to love, think about loving humbly. We need to think about loving sacrificially, selflessly, unselfishly. We need to love completely. There's a great word. Uh, We don't use it a lot. Altruistically. Being altruistic means doing something without expecting anything in return. Doing something. And so, as we kind of move away from here this week, let's keep this in mind. Let's, let's find ways to demonstrate our love for everybody, humbly, sacrificially, and with, act, with actions. Okay? Valentine's Day, what a great day to, do, to, to, to make a decision to do this, to copy Jesus' model, and to take hold of this blessing that Jesus has got for us. 
We're going to sing a song now. We're going to sing, Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never walks out on me. Okay, let's stand together.